All right, so we are in James chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. It's the back end of the chapter 3. And we begin by asking ourselves a question. What if God appeared to you and told you to ask for anything that you wanted? Right? So just imagine uh, God comes to you. And he asked you, Gary, what do you want? You know, and he would probably say, money. <laughs> I'm just kidding, okay. But just think to yourself, I mean, what, what would you be asking God for, right? And some undoubtedly would be asking for some Uh, extra resources, some more money, you're looking to buy a house, maybe a a girlfriend, a future spouse, okay? Uh, Maybe you're asking for more uh, power, okay? You want to work yourself up in your job situation so that you're not a slave to your current boss, okay? So there's a number of things that we can ask for, But guess what? It actually happened in the Bible, okay? And to the one person that did happen, guess what he asked for? It was wisdom, and it was Solomon. And it's found in 1 Kings chapter 4. And it's curious, as we are introduced to this concept of wisdom this morning, that he asked for such a thing. And so what we want to try to accomplish this morning is understand from this passage what true wisdom is, okay? Because what James has been doing and what he will continue to do throughout his his writing is that he will lay out for us what does it mean to know Jesus Christ? But not in a theoretical sense, but in a very practical, everyday kind of way. How do you navigate life once you've met your master and savior? And as you've come to the crossroads of of Jesus, you've met him, and now you acknowledge him as your Lord and savior, how do you go about living? Because this is what he's dealing with as the early leader of the Jerusalem church. He's dealing with a church that's trying to navigate. The Lord is risen. He's gone back to heaven, and now we need to deal with life. And we need to deal with ourselves. We need to deal with each other. And he gives practical wisdom and words throughout this letter. And this is what we've been confronted with as we've been spending time in, his, in God's word. What does it mean when, what do you do when you're under trials? What do you do when you're confronted with favoritism and partiality? What do you do when there's people trying to cause dissension? These are the very practical outworkings of sin in this life, that there is suffering, there is conflict, there's even turmoil within our own hearts. And as James the shepherd, the Lord's half-brother, 
He's trying to pastor this church. And with, this, with those kind of situations, he's trying to address those issues. And here, we come to this section in regards to wisdom. And the, the previous section is, is very curious because it dealt with the tongue. And there was a stern warning that not many of you ought to be teachers because with our tongues we can deal a great deal of good or evil. And there's a practical, again, outworking of our faith in Christ. And, and it shows by the way that we use our tongues. And here we're going to see in this section that with our tongues, we can either use it wisely or not. And we'll see the, the outworking of whether it's a heavenly wisdom or earthly or hellish wisdom. So let's look at this section here this morning, James chapter 3. I'm going to read it for us and then we'll get into it. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and, and, and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Here's our outline for today. Very simple, short outline. Okay. That's the effects of sin as well. I can't see. But uh, I can see here, but I can't see there. Okay. Our very first point is the challenge to show true wisdom. The challenge to show true wisdom. Look there at verse 13. James states who is wise and understanding among you. It's not just an innocent question, but the way that it's crafted is a challenge. Is a challenge of those that might be saying that they're wise, but by their actions, it's in fact showing that they're not. Because at, at the very end of this section, there's quarreling, there's squabbling, And so it brings into question, indeed, are they wise? And so James challenges them and is going to challenge us this morning. What then is true wisdom? You know, for many of us, including myself, you know, our our concepts of wisdom are are due in part crafted by our, our pop culture, right? Um, when I think of wisdom, do you know who comes into my mind? 
Gandalf. <laughs> or Dumbledore. Or any number of these so-called wise sages that look wise, right? That have the long white beard, they, they're old, and they've been through life. They've accumulated a lot of knowledge, right? And so those are the people that, I mean, look, at, look around here. The, you know, we have a lot of gray hairs now in this congregation. And those are the people that we uh, assume to be wise, right? Because they've lived a relatively longer life than, you know, if you're younger, right, than you're <laughs> yourself, right, then you assume that because they've gone through life experiences that there's a, a level of, of wisdom to be called there. But that's not necessarily true in the biblical sense. Okay? It's not just an accumulation of knowledge over time, but it's also to be able to use that knowledge in a righteous way. Okay? And I, I, I point us back to the First Kings 4 passage because when Solomon asks for wisdom, God commends him. He commends him in a way that's very insightful for us. One of them being that it was, he commends him because now you can follow my statutes. That you can live a righteous life. And not only that, that you now can have the ability to shepherd my people. Now, he doesn't put it exactly in those terms, but he, can, he says in a way that he can look after my people. And so because you have asked for this, I'll grant you more wealth. I will grant you longer life. Okay. But the key there is that wisdom is related to God. Wisdom is related to a righteous life in God. And I think one of the things that is going to be underscored in this section is that it's not about us. Wisdom is not about us. It's not so that you can make better decisions, but it's to make better decisions in regards to our life in God. Because He is the center of the universe. You're not. Because when we think of wisdom, we think it's all related to us and how I can navigate life and how I can make better decisions. It's true, but it's related to our life in God first. And secondly, our life with each other. We're going to see that as well. But look at that second phrase there in verse 13. This is how you're going to understand true wisdom. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Good conduct there is just right living. It's, it's, it's just to paraphrase, it's, it's a way to live life in a noble or praiseworthy way. It's almost synonymous with obeying God. And that is what James is pointing to. Is that wisdom is understanding how to live under the lordship of God. 
It is to understand that we are not the center. It is God that is at the center. And because he is, we live life that pleases him. That doesn't please us, but pleases him. You see there that it also shows in good works. And this is the phrase that I, wanna, I want to focus on, is meekness. Okay, And you can see there, And I need to kind of move the slides because I gave you the definition. Wisdom knows the good and knows how to do the good. And understanding is intelligent, experienced knowledge of an expert. Okay, so those are the two words that are, are, are uh, in that first part of, of verse 13. Okay, Wisdom is the application of understanding. Now, technically, these words overlap Okay, when used in Scripture, but when they're used close together... These are the finer distinctions, okay? That understanding is to get a better overall uh, intelligent understanding of it, whereas uh, wisdom is the application of it. And so uh, what James is pointing out is you want to know the information as well as the application and how to use it. Good conduct is praiseworthy, and a life of obedience, okay? And the word that we're coming to now is meekness, okay? And it can alternatively be translated gentleness, humility, and it's the opposite of selfishness or the opposite of arrogance, and in fact, this is the way that Jesus is described in Matthew. This is, it's the same word. And James also uses the same word previously in James chapter 1, 21, okay? That they ought to be... <clears throat> Therefore, put away all filthiness and rapid wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. And we, when we went over that word back there, it was not uh, equated to weakness, where uh, in the English, that's the sense that we get. That often we confuse meekness for weakness. That kind of rhymes there, right? So it's easier to remember. But it's not weakness. It's the ability to withhold strength. And that's the idea. The Greeks uh, viewed this characteristic as a deficiency, something that wasn't positive. Um, it was something that was, looked, in fact, looked down upon. Okay? And, you know, as you think about it, it's something that our culture in America doesn't look highly upon either. The withholding of strength. We like to see the display of strength. Okay? Um, now, look, this is not political. I'm just pointing out, uh, just that for an illustration, uh, what it kind of looks like. Remember when Trump went to the G20 meeting like uh, uh, several years ago? And they're going, uh, they're doing the photography. And, you know, all of a sudden he pushes 
one of the uh, prime ministers away. I don't know if you caught that, okay? <laughs> but that's a, that's a display of arrogance, right? Because he wanted to be in the front and center, okay? And, uh, you know, some people applaud that. And I'm not saying that that was wrong, okay? But biblically, it is, okay? In terms of showing wisdom. <laughs> okay, in, show, in terms of showing wisdom. And ultimately, that wisdom ought to be directed toward harmony, peace and harmony. Okay, that's my point, all right? We ought to be more like a, a, look, I don't want to make light of it, but like more like Jack, Michael Jackson. You remember the Beat It video? Beat it video? You guys know the point of the Beat It video? Have you guys seen that? Uh, I'm talking to millennials here. Okay. If, so you can YouTube it later, but in that video, you know, he's, he's, he gets two gangs together. And at the end of the bit video, instead of fighting, they're all dancing together. <laughs> like the world should be. <laughs> My point is this. In, in our world, you know, try, trying to reconcile people is not a show of strength. Okay? It's often a, a sign of weakness because we... We are a land of rights, right? And with that kind of mentality, it, it can ingrain a level of entitlement, right? And look, I, I'm so grateful for our country that we live in, in a country of the Constitution, that we do have rights, so don't get me wrong. I appreciate uh, the country that we live in and the freedoms that we have in terms of religion. And... Uh, you know, um, I believe in American exceptionalism, if, if you know what that means, which is not politically in, in favor these days, okay? But this is a great country, but with that kind of framework, with that kind of culture, we ha- because we have rights, it ingrains in us some level of entitlement, I have the right to cross the street and look straight at you down and make sure that you're not encroaching upon my crosswalk. But you go to Thailand, you're going to get run over. <laughs> All to say that our culture inculcates, encourages this kind of silverback gorilla thumping. You understand what I'm saying? It's this. I'm the silverback in this room. I'm the alpha male. That kind of. Of attitude, and this is the exact opposite of that. If you want to understand true wisdom, you're going to understand humility. You're going to understand gentleness. You're going to understand meekness. You're going to understand who Jesus really is. Our Lord and Savior, don't get me wrong, he was a lion. He is the lion of Judah. But he is also gentle and meek. 
And if we're going to understand how to navigate this life with true wisdom and live a righteous life before God, you're going to get to have a very close relationship with humility. In Philippians chapter 2, let's turn there, okay? I love this passage. It's one of the great Christological passage of the New Testament. Verse 4, chapter 2. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This was the life experience of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who experienced a life of humility and even a life unto death in humility. If we're going to live a life that is righteous, that is of good conduct, showing good works, we're going to be intimately aware and involved in the concept of meekness. If you don't know what that is, if you have not experienced that in your life, you may not be a Christian. Because that's what it was for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He lived a life of humility. And if we're going to understand true wisdom, James is challenging us. You've got to understand meekness. It says that in verse 21. With meekness, the implanted word. You receive the implanted word. So we put ourselves in a position of being like Jesus Christ. And there we begin the ability and the journey to understand wisdom. How to make sure that we are not the center of the universe, but God is. That we are living a life that is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That we live it because he is worthy. That he needs to be praised. That he needs to be glorified. This is what's going to ultimately produce a godly life. Oh, well, let's move on. <clears throat> Verse 14. Okay. That should be application. Oh, that, that is application. Okay. <laughs> That's supposed to be at the end. But we'll go through. The, we can do the application right now. So how do you be wise, okay? Number one, okay, acknowledge God is ultimate, okay? I think the first thing that we need to understand uh, that uh, Solomon understood, that David, his father, understood that God 
in fact, is the ultimate. He is the center of the universe. Psalm 23. Let's turn to Psalm 23. This is one of the more famous psalms. It's the shepherd's psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And look here at this second part of verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Righteous living is not an end just to ourselves. It points back to God. That, in fact, he has ownership over me. That he is the center of the universe. So if we're going to understand true wisdom, if we're going to understand true meekness, God has to be the center. He needs to be the motive for moving my life in righteousness. Step number two. Live in the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? It's an impossible task, okay? Um, and we'll see that as we go through the, the earthly and unspiritual. Left to our own devices, left to our normal state, we will tend away from God. It is only God in us that will move us to Him. And again, point us to the reality and the truth that God is the center. So it's always that cycle, right? When we're not doing well, it's because the Spirit is not empowering us or we're, not, we're quenching the Spirit. We're not being filled with the Spirit. And as, as that is not happening, we tend to our own eyes, to our own selves, and not to God. So it is only when we are filled with the Spirit, we are empowered by the power of God that we're able to live for Him. All right, let's... Well, <clears throat> what is hellish wisdom? Okay, hellish wisdom in verse 14. In contrast to what true wisdom is, James goes here in verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. The first thing that, that James points out is bitter jealousy. Okay, You can also translate that envy. And in fact, that word is neutral. But depending on the context, uh, and here used in conjunction with bitter, we see that it is something that is not good, okay? It is harsh and embittered kind of jealousy. It's deep-seated, it's resentful, it's antagonistic to the things of God. It's centered around yourself and your desires. That second word, selfish ambition, it's the motive behind one's bitter envy. It's selfishness. So you want what you want because you want it. He'll point that out later in chapter 4. 
What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? It's your passion. You could also translate that desires that are at war within you. So it is this motive of selfish jealousy, this selfish ambition. And it's often referred to uh, greedy politicians. Greedy politicians. Have you ever guys met a politician? I have. Um, in my time as a, um, uh, as a missionary at Zoe, okay, um, you know, I had the, the privilege of uh, doing tours of our campus, okay? And, uh, you know, you meet all kinds of people. You meet, uh, and we were involved in human trafficking, and we had a home in uh, Thailand, and it, it was this huge complex, and uh, it's, it's kind of one of a kind, and uh, so a lot of people will come through that complex. And uh, you have, of course, those children that are attracted. So you have the lowest of low in terms of our society, but you also had people interested in the work that we were doing, including politicians. Okay. And so I would give uh, tours. So it's not all Christians that uh, come through the facility, by the way. Okay, and so you have rich people that are thinking about uh, supporting it. Again, not necessarily Christian, or all, and but also politicians. Okay, uh, because now it's kind of uh, an in thing uh, to support that social justice. Okay, but uh, anyway, all to say that um, I realized I can never be a politician because uh, politicians are smooth. And what I mean by that is they have a way of just like finding something to connect with you and then just getting in. And like, I'm not that kind of person. I'm, you know, I can be very abrasive because I'll just tell you straight up what it is that's bothering me, okay? But that's not a politician. Politician is someone that because they are motivated by standing and gaining in society or whatever it may be, influence, they know how to go get what they want. Okay. And as you think to yourself in terms of wisdom and how you go about navigating life, okay, are you motivated by this such a thing? This thing that is self-serving, that allows you to navigate through social circles or, you know, pedal influence or gain, you know, things in your life. Now, if you can do it in a righteous way, man, God bless you, okay? 
because we need people like that as well. But the point here is a selfish motive that you are the end of um, this glad-handing, this manipulating, this desiring, okay? And what James says to that is, if you are motivated by that in your hearts, okay, then don't do it. It says, do not boast and be false to the truth. Do not exalt. If you are claiming to be wise and yet you are characterized by this, you are being false. Okay, that's what James is saying. He says, don't boast about it because you're wrong. You are false to the truth. If your motivation for wisdom is you and you are the end of it, it's not true. That's not true wisdom. In fact, he says in verse 15, what is it characterized by? This, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. A selfish jealousy, ambition doesn't come from heaven. It doesn't come from God. It's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. That word earthly is typical uh, word of this world. Okay? And again, it could, it could have uh, a neutral meaning. But again, as these two surrounding words in the context abundantly shows that James is using it in a negative way, that it is of man, it's not of God. It's being used in contradistinction, not above, but it's purely of the nature realm, of the human realm. A second word, unspiritual. This is what it means. It's unspiritual. It's, it's used in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14 to the unspiritual man that they live a life apart from God, apart from the influence of the Holy Spirit, and that they are purely in the material plane. And lastly, the word demonic. Okay, and it occurs only here in the New Testament. But it's to uh, denote that it's demonic in nature and in origin. If your wisdom, if your way of navigating this life is based upon yourself and your wants, your desires, Understand, it's coming from the pit of hell. It's of this world. It's not of God. There are many ways to get ahead in this world. And again, 
our culture, our society values those that are strong. And I was thinking about this, even some, in some contexts, even in the Christian subculture, it, it seems to be that way. We're talking about it this past week, but it's guys that kind of show strength, like kind of, um, they're kind of loud, and kind of show you that they know your, their, their Bible, that seem to kind of get ahead uh, even in our Christian subculture, okay? And um, again, I mean, I'm not assigning motive to that, but I'm just saying that we recognize that as a society and even as a subcult- Christian subculture that, you know, guys that are boisterous, and kind of share what they know, they get the attention. And uh, often we elevate it, okay? And look, uh, we got some of those guys in, in our church too, so I'm not you know, saying that you know, they're unwise or ungodly. I'm just saying, if that is occurring with selfish ambition and the motive is direct is directed from their, their own desires and passions, then that is wrong, okay? In fact, that is demonic. So we need to be aware that that is something that we are resisting and making sure that that is not a part of our DNA. And look, this is what it leads to. Verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, he's pointing back to 14, there will be disorder and every vile practice. There will be disorder and very every vile practice. Disorder is confusion. I'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm going to read that. <clears throat> Verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion. You could also translate that chaos, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Now, we're going to come back to that later, okay? Where we try to apply this hellish kind of wisdom, this selfish, jealous kind of wisdom, there's going to be chaos. There's going to be broken relationships between you and God and each other. That's what Paul is referring to here in 1 Corinthians, and that's what James is pointing to here in this passage. That when we try to have a wisdom that is demonic, that is self-gain, there's going to be disorder. There's going to be confusion. There's going to be chaos. First, in your vertical relationship with God, and second, in your horizontal relationship with others. Every vile practice, every evil thing, all forms of evil result 
from this selfish kind of hellish wisdom. It's a comprehensive statement here of every vile practice that results in divisions in the church, divorces in marriage, marriages, rivalries within the body of Christ. When there is confusion and chaos in your vertical relationship with God, it's the normal outcome that there's going to be chaos in your relationship with others. This kind of wisdom is capable of producing all kinds of evil. And it's going to ultimately reveal itself. Okay. Okay, so that's hellish wisdom. Let's turn to heavenly wisdom. Okay. But the wisdom from above is first pure. This is the first in the list of what heavenly wisdom is like. Therefore, it takes a prominent role and kind of shapes and crafts the rest of the characteristics. It's pure from defilement. It's not contaminated. It's earnest. It's sincere. It's pure. It's not self-seeking. It seeks the good of God. It seeks the good of others. So when we're motivated, our, our wisdom comes from this very uncontaminated place. It's a pure place. It's a place that only God can make a space for. It is a place where he has already accomplished through the work of the cross. And as his children, we can move there now. Before, everything was centered around ourselves. But in Christ, now we can go to this place of pureness, of purity. The second characteristic is, I'm going to go through these pretty quickly, okay, is peaceable, okay? <clears throat> it's peace-loving. Unlike chaos, it's harmonizing. And he'll, he'll put this at the bookend of it at the end of verse 18. So those that are seeking this kind of wisdom they're a solve. They are a bond. They're the kind of people that bring pe- uh, people together. The next characteristic is gentle. We already talked about that. Kind. Yielding. Open to reason. It's very similar to the one before. It's willing to yield. Okay? He doesn't have to have his own way. So you see how it's being distinct from the selfish ambition and jealousy? 
full of mercy and good fruits. It's paired together. It's abundant. An attitude of compassion is that word mercy. You can put yourself in the other person's shoe. It's the ability to empathize. And you're full of it. And it says it's good works. Okay. Lastly, it says it's impartial and sincere. It's without, it's without partiality. And it's without hypocrisy. Okay. These are what mark a heavenly wisdom. We talked about partiality before. In fact, that's what um, James considers true religion. It's those that are in need of compassion, the widows and orphans, and the poor, the first part of, of chapter 2. James will go over and over again the same ideas. Okay, and he'll hit it from a different angle, but he'll get back to the same place. And what he's looking for us to do and um, manifest is wisdom here. At the very beginning of chapter one, he says, "You know, what, what do you do in the midst of trial? You consider it all joy." But then the second part of that, in verse five, what do you do? You ask for wisdom. And he will give it abundantly. Well, one of the key things in that verse is that you, cannot, you can't do it with doubting. You have to do it with faith. And again, it's an outworking of our true faith in Jesus Christ that's going to manifest itself in a real and practical way. And in here, it's wisdom. A wisdom that is meek. A wisdom that is ultimately going to result in verse 18. Peace, okay? Harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And I, I've paraphrased it here. Peacemakers produce a harvest of righteousness that is peace, Those that make peace will sow peace, harvest righteousness. It kind of goes backwards. You see there in our English? Okay. This is the idea, is that those that make peace will produce a harvest of righteous works, of righteousness before God, because he is the center of the universe. And what will be sown, what will manifest, ultimately is peace. It's not chaos. It's harmony. It's harmony between ourselves and our God and ultimately with each other. If we really want to understand what wisdom is, if we want to live a life that's going to make God the center of the universe and not ourselves, it has to be sown with peace. It begins with wisdom. It ends in peace. Okay? Church, if, if that is your heart's desire, we really need to understand 
this process. It doesn't come by accident, okay? It's not gonna happen because we wish it. It's gonna happen because we understand God's word as we've seen this morning that it is our submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, first of all, and to understand who he truly is. He's the gentle and lonely. And as we try to take that on, it's going to allow us to live life in a wise way. And as that happens, we're going to have a church that has, is a church of harmony, not of chaos, not of broken relationships, not of discord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time this morning around your word. And help us to really understand what true wisdom is. And we desire a heavenly wisdom, a wisdom that springs forth from our relationship with you, our understanding that you are, in fact, the center of this universe, and we need to please you, not ourselves. So help us to live in a meek way, in a peaceable way, that ultimately will manifest in a life of Wisdom, Keep us from hellish wisdom. Help us to understand heavenly wisdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.